It's amazing how much can change in just a year's time. So I was preparing this week, I was thinking to a year ago right now, I was sending my resume out to anyone that would take it. All over, it's so easy nowadays with being able to email things that I was sending this out. And resumes are a funny thing, you're trying to take all these facts about your life and make yourself look as good as you can truthfully on paper which isn't always an easy thing to do I had a funny story actually from a few years ago when we were getting ready to leave seminary I was applying for jobs and I knew I had an idea of what I wanted but at that point I basically would take anything that I could feed my family with and so I found a job at a large church down in the Houston area and the description online for this job was a grief pastor. Now, and as the description continued, it went on to talk about how this pastor would be in charge of going to homes after people lost a loved one. And this pastor would be in charge of conducting funerals and helping families work with the funeral home and all these things that I thought, well, it's not really what I want to do, but I should have this one in the bag. And so I sent my application in and it took about three days to get an email back saying, you don't have the required experience for this position. I almost got on the phone to call that church. <laughs> Listen here, <laughs> did you read my resume or did you just stop where, you know, I, I didn't have any experience in a church, but I had been to hundreds and hundreds of homes after people had lost loved ones. And I was the funeral home and I had been to countless funerals but I decided that that wasn't what God had for me and so we moved on. But resumes are, are funny things. You're, you're trying to put this out there, who you are, what your qualifications are, why someone should want to hire you. If you remember last week we talked, as we started the book of Galatians, that this is Paul writing a letter to churches in a region that had gotten saved less than a year before that and they are already moving on from the gospel of Christ. And in defense of the gospel that he has preached to them, Paul is going to give the Galatians his resume, so to speak. We're starting a section here in verse 11 that will continue through midway in chapter 2 where Paul is going to sort of give an autobiography. Who he is, what he has done, why they should believe him. Now, this is actually the first of three sort of subsections in that autobiography. This is the historical section of the epistle. It's actually about 20% of the entire book. Paul is giving his background. They've met Paul. They know him. They heard the gospel directly from him. But in defense of his gospel, he's going to say, this is who I am. And this is all building up to his pronouncement that justification is by faith alone. And that's our big idea, is that this justification by faith, it comes from God. The gospel of grace comes from God alone. The gospel of grace comes from God alone. And Paul is going to use his own story to back that up. We'll read through the passage beginning in verse 11 of Galatians 1. 
For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. For I neither received it from man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. Then I went to the religious of Circia and Silica. I was still known, unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you again for this chance to open your word, Lord, to read it and to study it. Be with me and help me to speak clearly of what I've learned this week. In Jesus' name we pray. So our first couple of verses here, we see that Paul is proclaiming that the gospel is not man-made. Again, verse 11, he says, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to men. Paul started to make this clear from the very first verse of the book. He said, if you remember back in one one when he writes his introduction, he says, Paul an apostle not sent from men or through the agency of man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. He's making it clear right from the beginning. And now again, as he begins this resume, this autobiography of who he is, he begins again that way, that the gospel is not from man. It's not of human invention. It seems that in part of this smear campaign that these Judaizers were doing to Paul in trying to lure the Galatians away from the gospel that he had preached to them, they wanted to brand him as what you might call a second-hand or second-rate apostle. That he wasn't like the other apostles and his gospel was a second-hand gospel from men. That it was wrong. The Judaizers were saying that Paul was teaching his own brand of gospel and religion. Paul said the gospel he preaches is not something man made up. And when he's saying here that he received it in the, the Greek, it's in the passive voice. This is something that was done to him. He received the gospel. It was given to him. He didn't make it up. He didn't go get it. God revealed it to him. When we began looking at this last week, every other religion in the world is man-made. 
They've all been formulated by men, and they all have something in common, no matter how different they are. From Muslims to Hindus to Buddhists to whatever, it's all about what you do. It's all about the work that you do. You have to work for it. If you do this or that, and you keep these and you avoid that, then eventually you'll be okay with God. Or in the case of the Eastern religions, you'll reach enlightenment. It's all about working. It's all about doing it yourself. Religion, you could say, is man's effort to reach God. But the gospel is completely different. It is God coming to man. It's God sent his son for us. He did the work, not us. so Paul is saying that this, this revelation could only be from God. It is so different than religion and the things that man comes up with. In addition, the message of the gospel that he's preaching, it's not... If I was going to make something up to try and draw people in, would I tell you that you are a, a terrible sinner and that there's nothing that you could ever do? That's not something he would make up. But that's what came from God, that we need Jesus, that we have to come to him through faith because there's no way we can work to get there. As Paul's defending his gospel, I thought we'd start out by looking at what Paul's gospel is. Many of these verses you may know by heart, but you turn with me to Romans 3. Beginning in verse 21, Paul says, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by his grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus. As a gift. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works that no man should boast. Back in Galatians, in the next chapter, in chapter 2, verse 16, Paul says, Nevertheless, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but through faith in Christ Jesus, even we have believed in Christ Jesus so that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law, since by the works of the law no flesh will be justified. In Acts 16, what a wonderful story when Paul is in jail and the doors fling open and the chains fall off and the jailer is about to kill himself and Paul calls out to him, and he comes in and he's astonished and he says man what must I do to be saved did Paul give him a list of all the works that he had to do oh he said believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved 
Acts 16, 31. That was Paul's gospel. That was what he was traveling around preaching. That was the gospel that they had believed in. Remember last week we looked at Acts 13 and 14 where Paul was ministering to those churches in Galatia. And it started out, he went to the synagogue first and he gave them the gospel presentation and they rejected him. And they blasphemed and they, they were angry. And Paul said then that they had to give it to them first, but then it was going to the Gentiles and it said the Gentiles rejoiced when they heard it. And they believed. And yet here they are so soon after having believed they're now turning verse 12 we see that the gospel is a revelation of Jesus Christ Paul says for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it but I received it through revelation of Jesus Christ Paul here is continuing in the passive voice it's, it's something that was done to him it's almost as if the gospel overpowered him that day on the Damascus Road. Paul says he did not receive the gospel from any man. He didn't go to some evangelistic outreach and hear the gospel. No one came to his door. Jesus knocked him down on that road and said, Here I am, Paul. And the gospel was revealed to him. So Paul didn't need anyone to teach it to him, but on the other hand, these Judaizers had heard the gospel and then added their own agenda into it and made it into a different gospel. Remember he said back in verse 6 that they had distorted this gospel. The Judaizers had come from the church in Jerusalem, and in effect they claimed that, that Paul didn't get his gospel from the right place, that they knew what was correct, that as Jews who had been worshiping God for thousands of years, they needed to tell these Galatians what to do. But Paul said he received this gospel through a revelation of Jesus Christ. The gospel is an invention. It's not a tradition, but a revelation. It's something that he didn't know, and then he knew it. The important thing is that Jesus was revealed to Paul. As obviously, again, we read through Acts 9 earlier. This refers to Paul's experience on that Damascus road when he looked up into the heavens and he saw Jesus. And he had to ask, who are you? And he said, I am the Jesus that you are persecuting. And what was unveiled for him in that moment was the essence of the gospel. You saw what we read there following that when he began to preach the gospel in Acts 9 what he was preaching that was that Jesus was the son of God when he saw the risen Christ he knew that he was the son of God that what he had claimed was true his eyes were open spiritually speaking even though he was blinded by the experience so if Paul says that his gospel came from Jesus. What was Jesus' gospel? Turn with me back to John 3. Verse 
beginning in verse 14, Jesus, talking to Nicodemus here, says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so the Son of Man must be lifted up. And the imagery he's using there, you probably know the story. It's from the Old Testament when the Israelites were in the wilderness and they were complaining and sinning against God. God sent serpents into the camp and they were biting the Israelites and the Israelites were dying. I tell you, I, I hate snakes. I think one of the greatest blessings God ever gave me was in the two years we lived in Arizona, I didn't see one rattlesnake because I am deathly afraid of them. And see, so imagine this, there's, I mean, how large was the camp and how many people were dying and they repented. And so Moses went to God and said, what can we do to stop this? God said, put a serpent on a pole and put it up in the middle of the camp. And if anyone looks at it, even if they're bitten, they won't die. And so that took faith. It took an act of faith to go, you know, if you're really sick and someone told you to stand on one leg and jump around in circles while patting your head and rubbing your tummy, you'd probably go, you're, you're dumb. I'm not going to do that. And so if you're dying of a snake bite and someone says, well, you got to look at the bronze serpent that's on a pole in the middle of camp, it took faith. It took believing that the promise was true. If you didn't believe it, you wouldn't look and you would die. But if you did look, you would live. So Jesus says in the same way that that serpent was lifted up for the people to look at, he must be lifted up so that when we look at him, we believe the promise is true, that he promises to give us eternal life if we believe in him continues in verse 15 so that whoever believes will believes will in him have eternal life for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life for God did not send the son into the world to judge the world but that the world might be saved through him and he who believes in him is not judged he who does not believe has been judged already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Throughout the book of John, Jesus repeatedly tells people to believe. It's believe, believe, believe. And then as we see in, when Paul gives his gospel, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. That it's this gift. Like Jesus said that God the Father had sent him. He was sending his gift to mankind to offer mankind an opportunity at justification, at eternal life, at having a relationship with him, the relationship that we are created to have. And so this gospel that Paul is preaching is the gospel that Jesus preached. And he's telling them here that this was revealed to him. The problem with the Judaizers is that they were acting and talking like Christians, but they said you needed to do something else. And an interesting quote from a man named John Stott. It says that the church's greatest troublemakers now and then are not those outside who oppress, ridicule, and persecute it, but those inside who try to change the gospel. We must always be on guard to protect the gospel. An easy litmus test is if you have faith equals eternal life, you have the gospel. If you have faith plus 
equals eternal life, then you've added something to it. You're saying, I need to do this in order to receive that. When Jesus said that he was given for us, when Paul says over and over that it's a gift, these Judaizers were distorting the gospel. They were taking sound theology and twisting it, adding to Paul's gospel of grace. They were deceptive, and some things they were agreeing with Paul, and other things they were telling them that, no, that's, that's not true. You need to, to do this as well. Paul was wrong there. And so they were smearing him and his gospel, trying to turn these Galatians toward the works that they held so dear whether it was circumcision or the dietary laws or whatever it was that as Jews that they held themselves apart to be. And they said, well, if you want to be right with God, you need to do these things too. Again, the greatest danger then and now isn't the anti-gospel outside the church. It's the counterfeit gospel in the church. And that is what Paul is trying to combat here. That is why he's saying that this Jesus you believed in, the gospel I gave you, came directly from him. As Paul continues, he shows the life-changing power of the gospel. The life-changing power of the gospel. Verse 13. For you have heard of my former manner in my life, in the life of Judaism, how he used to persecute, persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. So the apostles' actions following that revelation on the Damascus Road supported his claim to having received divine revelation. The whole direction of his life changed. He had violently rejected the gospel and tried to stamp it out, thinking it was a blasphemous heresy. And he followed these ancestral traditions. We looked at this many times in Matthews. Paul was a Pharisee, and these Pharisees had traditions that They'd added to the law of God. And Paul said, I followed all of them. Zealously, he followed them. When he says beyond measure here, it means to an extraordinary degree he followed these things. And Paul's main point here in verses 13 and 14 was to show that there was nothing in his religious background or life before he was converted that could have in any way prepared him for a positive response to the gospel. In fact, just the opposite. Everything inside of him was set up to, to hate the gospel. Everything inside of him was built to be this Jew among Jews who would carry out all those little tiny, minute ways of life and traditions and the law of God and trying to please God by working to get there. He was a master at religion. But there's a huge difference between religion and the gospel. 
Religion operates on the principle that I obey, therefore I am accepted. The gospel operates on the principle that I am accepted through Christ, and therefore I obey. Paul's whole life was changed that moment on the Damascus Road. Continues in verse 15. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. So what totally revolutionized Paul was God's choice to reveal himself to him. God had taken the initiative with Paul. Paul was on his way to arrest Christians and Jesus showed up and revealed himself to him because he had a plan for Paul. From his mother's womb, he had a plan for him. I've shared this story before, but I was, you see God's hand working in your life and there's only one Paul, there's only one of you, there's only one of me and God works differently in each of us, but I'm always amazed at the fact that my biological mother who seems to have no faith at all asked the adoption agency to put me in a Christian home. And that adoption agent had helped my parents two and a half years before to adopt my sister and then told them that they would never adopt again because they were too old. And yet she remembered them that my dad was a pastor and so they called them and said, would you like a little boy? And so as I see God's hand working in my life, I don't know where I would have ended up had I stayed in her home or if I had gone to another one, but I ended up in a home where I was taught theology as long as I can remember and where I was raised in church and where I accepted the gospel at a young age. All those things, and it's so interesting to hear Paul looking back at his life and know that through God's revelation to him, that I have set you aside to minister to the Gentiles, and he knew that that was God's plan for his life all along. Despite everything he did, that God was gonna use him to reach those Gentiles. Paul had emphasized that he did not receive his message from men before or at the time of his conversion, and now he affirms that he is free from human influences after his conversion. That he didn't go to anyone to, you need to teach me this. He got it directly from the Lord. As you see, his, he didn't need to. He, he knew that his calling was supernatural. This revelation to him had been supernatural. And so why would he need to go to a natural man, to flesh and blood? Or even the apostles who had been given a commission by Christ, he didn't need to go to them because the Lord himself had given him the gospel. The Acts doesn't tell us and Paul doesn't tell us here exactly how Christ revealed the gospel to him. Like I said, at that moment when he knew that Jesus was alive and the Son of God, he got the essence of it. But in some way, God revealed to him the truth. And you think that the vast amounts of Old Testament scriptures that he would have known as a Pharisee, 
And as he got this revelation, it made all of it come to life. And throughout his writings, you can see his, his theology and the way his mind worked. And, and just amazed to see what that would have been like to have just been imparted with the truth. I began talking about resumes, and you think about, you know, if if you were to go to Harvard or an Ivy League school or one of those, that would be, you want to make sure that was clear on your resume where you went to school because that holds clout. Well, there's no better teacher of the gospel than Jesus Christ himself, and that's who Paul learned it from. And that's the point he's making here. It didn't come from men. It didn't come from, I didn't have to go learn it somewhere. God imparted it to me. When I was in high school, the movie The Matrix came out. It was very popular. I'll never, I haven't seen it in years, but I'll never forget one scene where they plug this thing into the back of Keanu Reeves' head and he starts shaking or whatever, and he wakes up and he goes, I know Kung Fu. <laughs> it's obviously, you know, science fiction, but in some way, God imparted all this knowledge to him that built on the knowledge that he'd had since a youth and led to a gospel-sharing machine. And Paul said here that he went to Arabia. We don't know where he went in Arabia. The geographical area of Arabia included the lands east of Palestine, south of Syria, and west of Mesopotamia. The city of Damascus stood at its northwestern edge. So coming from Damascus, Paul probably went somewhere south into the northern region of Arabia. He doesn't tell us what he did there. There are some scholars who think there that he went to, to restudy all of those scriptures that he knew about the Messiah, everything the Old Testament had to say, and in so strengthening himself. Others think that he went there to preach the gospel to those in Arabia, and that was the sole purpose of his trip. And if so, when we read about his first missionary journey in Acts 13, that would actually be his second, that he had traveled before to share the gospel. He goes on again talking about when he returned to Damascus rather than Jerusalem, he still felt no need to go to the apostles and get their approval or learn anything from them. He wasn't being arrogant or uncooperative by doing that, he simply just believed in his divine calling and the origin of his gospel that he was sharing. Verse 18. Then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. This section continues the point of the previous one, that Paul was not dependent on any of the other apostles for what he was teaching. The explanation would have further convinced his readers of the divine source of his revelation, that this did not come from men. I didn't go to Jerusalem to learn it. I didn't meet with anyone there other than Cephas and James. But I still have this gospel because Jesus gave it to me. Then here introduces the next event that shows us that he's giving us a chronological step-by-step, step, this is what happened. He's not omitting anything important. He's telling us what went on in his life during those years. 
and he did so to show that he had he'd been functioning as an apostle long before he even met the other apostles and so again you go back to the, what they were trying to bring him down with they were trying to make it out that he was sent by the apostles and that he got what they were teaching wrong but Paul says that's not what happened and this was three years after his conversion uh, not three years after his return to Damascus that Paul finally went back to Jerusalem and met with James it's interesting that you know he went there to get personally acquainted with him and you think about the whether or not he would have learned or been there to learn from others if he only stayed 15 days that wouldn't have been enough time to meet with the apostles and to get to know them and to learn the gospel truth from them it was a, a short visit to get to know a couple of them personally not nearly enough time for what would have been needed to learn the gospel in 20 he says now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. So Paul may have added this verse to help the Galatians realize not only that he was telling the truth, but that he had really received his gospel by divine revelation. The truth of the gospel as he preached it was at stake in the truthfulness of what he said. And so was the, the lies of these Judaizers. This wasn't a a situation where they could have been partially right, he was partially right. He was telling them, I'm telling the truth. They're lying. These are the facts. In verse 21. Then I went into the regions of Syria and Cilicia. I was still known, unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. But Paul had so little contact with these churches in Judea that they didn't even know who he was when they would see him. Even after several years of ministry. They only knew him by reputation and they thanked God for what he was doing through Paul. Which is interesting because these churches in Judea, which evidently the Judaizers had come out of, they were rejoicing over Paul. And yet these Judaizers get to this region of Galatia and they're saying, oh, no, no, Paul's, he's got it all wrong. You need to, you need to do this, this, and this too. Those churches in Judea would not have been praising God if Paul was preaching the false gospel found this quote I thought it was interesting it said that it is striking proof of the large space occupied by faith in the mind of the infant church that it should so soon have passed into a synonym for the gospel you saw there in verse 23 he who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith so this, it had already become a synonym for the gospel that's what Paul was preaching that was what he had gotten directly from Jesus as we saw in Acts 9 it changed his life he immediately started going out and telling other people about it he knew what he had and he had to share it with others this section verses 11 through 24 helps us appreciate how 
convincing God's revelation on the Damascus Road was to Paul. He not only repented concerning the person of Christ, but he also received an absolutely clear revelation of his message and what his ministry would be. And he began to preach the gospel immediately without any authorization from men. His authorization came from God. I think it's interesting, as you look at his changed life, from a man of religion to a man of the gospel, go back to that idea of comparing the two, that religion is, I obey, therefore I'm accepted, and the gospel is, I'm accepted, therefore I obey. Religion generally has, well, it can have more than that, but two major effects you see in people's lives. The first is that if you are a religious person, you are often a proud person because you feel like you do good deeds and you look down on people who, whose deeds don't match up to yours, at least in your own mind. You see this as we went through Matthew often. Every time Jesus was dealing with those Pharisees, that they were hypocrites, that they were working to please men, not God, and that was their whole life was being better than the guy next to them. And this is exactly what happened to Paul. In his pride, he thought he was better than those Christians who were so gullible to believe in that Jesus guy. And he was determined to destroy them. In his pride and his wanting to work to please God, he was willing to destroy the church. The other effect you can often see in religion is despair. There's never enough you can do to fill that void of wanting to reach God. You can try to do good, but you're constantly going to fail. The message of the gospel is not about what we do, but what God did for us. And as a result, we live with thankfulness and joy and humility. And you see that humility all throughout Paul's writings. You see the joy even in the struggles he faced, his thankfulness for the gospel. The gospel teaches us what God did to bring us salvation. All other religious religions teach what man has to do to bring salvation upon himself. All religions emphasize works what man must do to be saved while Christianity the gospel emphasizes what God did to save us and that's what sets it apart from everything else and I think in our world there's no greater testimony than a changed life and so as Paul begins to, to lay this out for them as he begins his argument of where they've got it wrong why following these Judaizers and their gospel is wrong. He lays out his changed life, his testimony, his resume of who he was and who he is now. And the only thing that could have changed that was God himself. That the gospel of grace has to come from God. proved to them the authenticity of his gospel by showing them the power of his gospel. And we need to remember that in our own lives, that if we're trying to 
prove to people how good we are, if we tell people that's what sets us apart, that's what saves us, we've got it wrong. If we tell people it was all what Jesus did on that cross, and that by believing in him I'm saved, and now I have a changed life, that's a message worth listening to. And that's what Paul's getting at here. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for the gospel of grace that you sent your son for us because there was nothing we could do to reach you, so you you reached out to us, Lord. We thank you for that. We thank you for this church and the love that is here for you and your word. I pray you bless us this week. In Jesus' name we pray.